So today we are uh, going to con continue with our series, Eight Essential Elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel Series. This is the 34th lesson in this series, and we are going through the eight elements. We are at element five still. This is the 13th week, uh, or no, I let's see, uh, let me just look at my notes here. Um, could be the 14th week on element five. should have that somewhere in my notes. In any case, uh, element zero was we, we basically looked at the necessity of proclaiming the gospel. The, there, Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, the gospel which effectually works in those who have, God grants ears to hear it with faith. When you... Uh, the gospel will do its work, and that's why at Grace Christian Fellowship, our, we center the creeds, the communion, the, the, the worship, the teaching, the catechism. Everything is always centered, centered in the gospel. If there's any crisis in American Christianity today, it's that we have thousands of people who have grown up in, quote, Bible-believing churches that are showing no signs of actually having been converted to Christ. And if you ask them the gospel, they usually can't summarize even some of the minor points. And so uh, it's really important that you learn this stuff for yourself because we don't just get we don't just pray the sinner's prayer by the gospel. We live by the gospel every day. If you don't live in the having died to self having understood the depth of your sin and your utter inability to bring forth anything godly or righteous in any attitude or motivation of your heart or any action uh, outworked, if you don't understand your total dependence on the resurrected Christ to live his life through you and, have, and you've made a total exchange, I'm no longer alive, it's Christ who lives in me. Uh, that's the whole message of baptism. Without that, uh, you cannot live the Christian life at all. So then we uh, we looked at the necessity, therefore, of of having uh, of proclaiming the gospel and and of discerning whether your audience is pre-evangelized or not. We used Paul's uh, speech to the Athenians to an audience that was not pre-evangelized. So then uh, we looked at then elements one through four. We basically tried to highlight the depth of the gap between God and man. We don't need a psychologist. We don't need a little churching up. We don't need uh, just a little therapy or re to, to buy some self-help books on how to be more disciplined or, or what have you. We need a complete rescuing that includes being completely regenerated. We... We need a new me and a new you and a new humanity that's in Christ. So uh, I'm not going to further go over that gap, you know, uh, at this point, because I don't want to take too much of my time having started late. I'm, I plan to review that for a couple minutes, but we'll do that another time. Um, and of course, it's on the podcast if you're really interested. So in the last, uh, I guess it's 13 weeks, we've been looking at... There it is, 13 weeks, bridging the gap uh, through Christ being the only meet, only one capable of bridging that gap. And you look at uh, quite a few titles, and then where you see that slash in the third line, 
After that, we've been looking at for quite a few weeks now the ministry of Jesus. We looked at the magnitude of his ministry, that he was a model or pattern for the entire Christian life, that it was part of his ministry, we, that he started his ministry by proclaiming the, the kingdom of God and proclaiming that he was the Christ and so forth in the synagogues and in the marketplaces. Um, we looked at uh, that he made disciples not just informational disciples, but impartational and formational discipleship, which uh, very few churches do any kind of discipling anymore. Some parachurch church uh, organizations do, but mostly informational discipleship, not good enough. Uh, we looked at how he built his covenant family or his covenant church, his community. We looked at the fact that, his, that he did miraculous manifestations and of necessity he had to because he's delivering us from real enemies too powerful for, our, for ourselves. Your sin nature, you cannot combat it. The demon spirits, which are real, you cannot combat them, except through the authority and power of Jesus Christ. In 1 John, and John, not 1 John, John 1, verse 12, when it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the exousia, the, the right to become children of God, that that. Greek word means both the right, that is the authority, and the power. And you were powerless, and you were without authority to stand up to Satan and his kingdom. He had usurped the authority through the fall of man, and through Christ it is restored unto us. And now we can take dominion over the minions of the enemy. So... um, if you don't have a gospel, what we're getting into uh, last week and this week is the whole modern idea of cessationism, that that Jesus just saves you in a theoretical sense, that you pray a sinner's prayer, and you may have some sense of the Holy Spirit or some change of heart, and then you try harder and go to church more and, and hold out till you go to heaven. If Jesus isn't saving you in tangible, powerful, concrete ways, you have no gospel at all. Okay, so with that in mind, you know, the fact is Jesus spent over 25% of his ministry casting out demons. Last week, uh, we had some visitors, and they enjoyed the church very much, but the one young man was very freaked out because I mentioned that Jesus cast out demons. And he was like, oh, my God, that is so whack. You know, I was like, have you ever read the Gospels? Like one-third of the Gospels is Jesus casting out demons, so you have no Bible left if you don't, you know, I, I speak to Christians all the time who have uh, neither had a demon cast out of them ever or ever cast a demon out. Sometimes they've never even seen that. And that's not in their expectations. That's no Christianity at all. That's just religious theorizing. It's a deception of the first order. If your gospel doesn't have power in it, then it doesn't have Jesus in it. So last week, we got into the idea called cessationism, that the, that the ministry of Jesus uh, changed after the resurrection of the, or after the death of the disciples in the writing of the New Testament, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and the kingdom of God became progressively just a spiritual condition 
that has to do with things we do in the church and in our devotions, but doesn't have to do with conquering real kingdoms and real economic systems and real family life and real things. And it's called dualism or Neoplatonism. It's the it's it's uh, Gnosticism. It's a heresy that it's actually the heresy that birthed having grape juice. There, the 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 idea of having grape juice at communion was first postulated in the third century by the Gnostics, who said, uh, you know, that they felt the physical world was evil and the spiritual world was bad, and so wine had a potentiality of being bad, and so and the church decided that's a heresy. Because if you take Jesus out of conquering the wor- the flesh, conquering the, the, the seen world, then you've taken him uh, into a ethereal, uh, spaced out, like these movies you see where Jesus is always real spaced out and on drugs or something and, uh, you know, and can't deal with reality and all that kind of stuff. J- Jesus is a conqueror of real things. He really has to do with how you work at your job. He really has to do with how you handle your finances. He really has to do with how you treat your spouse. He really has to do with how you treat your roommate, how you raise your kids, how you uh, how we address economic systems and economic injustice. He really has to do with how man treats the environment. And the God's salvation is not primarily through civil government. It's primarily through the, the, the kingdom of God and the church as the agent of the kingdom of God. And without that kind of view, the church becomes this mealy mouth, retreatist, uh, wimpy, uh, scared group of people who have no relevancy to life. So last week we looked at this idea that the, that the power of the Holy Spirit and the, and the proclaiming of the kingdom of God for every area of life ended with the apostles. By the way, this was not the faith of the church in the first seven or eight centuries. It was not the faith of the reformers. Uh, it's the faith of modern event, so-called Bible-believing Christianity, which of all Christian movements in the history of the church gives the most lip service to following the Bible and actually does it the least. In fact, when you meet people from Bible-believing churches, they invariably don't know hardly anything about the Bible because they've been taught deeply that their Bible is pretty much irrelevant. They're not that excited. They, if they read the Bible at all, it's out of some performance base that somehow God will accept me more if I do the right religious things and go to church and read my Bible for 10 minutes a day and, and gut that out and so forth. They're not excited to read the Bible for hours and hours and hours because they don't see it as the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So we looked at a warning last week that's in first, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, and I just left verse 5 in there, that there will be a time that men have the appearance or hold to a form of godliness, but deny, or they have denied, its power. Avoid such people. New King James, turn away from such people. Turn away from performance-based naturalism. If it holds to a form of godliness but doesn't have power, it is actually more dangerous than being an unbeliever. 
Now, we looked at the supposed scriptural sources. I can't go into those much, but they, dis- they use three total scriptures. And the, the basis of it is 1 Corinthians 13, which they totally changed the meaning by ripping it out of its context and assigning a meaning that it clearly doesn't have. And they make the partial as, as coming, or the complete as coming when the scriptures came, when the obvious context is when we go to be with Christ. Anytime you have to forcibly prove your point by only one scripture, it's very similar to what uh, some do with saying Jesus had no brothers, or some do with saying that the um, Jesus created wine at the wedding of Cana, or created grape juice at the wedding of Cana. I you actually I actually sat in a meeting once and heard a a pietistic kind of guy uh, teaching, and a guy who knew a lot of scripture. Uh, but he knew it in a paradigm of dualism. So uh, he basically said, we know that wine is bad. I don't know where we, he got that point. but uh, And then he said, we know that Jesus can only do good things. Therefore, Jesus created grape juice at the wine wedding of Cana. And I was like, holy cow. <laughs> Are you kidding me? What logic? Um, well, when you start with faulty assumptions, you're going to get faulty conclusions. That's when Jesus, why Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're greatly mistaken. You know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. They had the scriptures memorized. And he said they didn't know them because they came with unbelieving, anti-supernatural, naturalistic, performance-based assumptions. The same faith is modern evangelicalism. So... When we, when we do these things, be like the Bereans who are more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. Search the scriptures daily to see if what we're saying is so. So we looked at the scriptural basis. Then we looked at the philosophical basis. The philosophical basis being two things. One is the modern natural-mindedness that came out of the Enlightenment and has grown uh, to, to be a brainwashing effect, it's, it's, what, it's the religion of the public schools. If you send your kids to public schools, they will be brainwashed in an unbelief, naturalism, that all things are explainable by naturalistic causes. This has so deeply affected the church. If you have what's called a New International Version Study Bible, throw it away. Get an English Standard Version or some better study Bible because the New International Version Study Bible is so natural-minded that it actually takes the time in the notes to give a natural, plausible explanation for every miracle. Wow. Like, that's necessary? Well, it's possible that, you know, the... The, the Red Sea parted because a great wind came or an earthquake came. And, you know what? It's possible because God said, <laughs> it's, you know, and of course he works through the natural order that he created, but geez. So the, the, Pharise- the second uh, philosophical basis is the, the, the paradigms or the, or the spirit, spirit behind modern-day Phariseeism and ancient Phariseeism. This actually goes back to the time of Jeremiah. The reason Jeremiah and Ezekiel's ministries were rejected is because a a performance-based spirit is always natural-minded. It always accepts miracles as long as they were in the past and only to to, uh, witness to a great thing like the giving of the law or the first of the prophets, Elijah and Elisha. They accepted those miracles, 
but it always rejects what God's doing in our midst in our own day. And that's why a constant message of all the prophets is, behold, I'm doing a new thing. If That's why I actually uh, call the uh, cessationist paradigm the God is dead school of theology. He's saying the Holy Spirit died with the apostles. That's what it's actually saying, whether they want to admit that or not. They're saying, we know that God worked in the early church to bear witness to the gospel, but somehow he doesn't do that anymore. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can't have Jesus come and not do what Jesus did in the Gospels. If Jesus, if two or three gather in his name and there he is in the midst, he will do the things he did in the Gospels. He will proclaim the kingdom. He will heal the sick. He will cast out demons. He will proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, and he'll restore all things. And the limitation of his power is not what he's wanting to do. It's our own deep-seated unbeliefs from being brainwashed in these two philosophical antichrist philosophies. We have been so imbibed and drunk on natural-minded thinking that we have a journey into being able to trust in the spirit of God and live in the spirit of God and walk by the spirit and put the deed, the death, the deeds of the flesh by the spirit and demonstrate the power and manifestation of the spirit. But that's what a Christian's supposed to do. You're supposed to bring words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophetic words into every situation. God, you know, this may not seem that spiritual to you, but God, by the Holy Spirit, constantly gave me discernment of what questions to ask and what things to say in my sales job in, from 1991 to 1999 and, and on into 2008. With our, If he hadn't done so, I probably would have made less than half of what I made. The Holy Spirit is real, and you can have a relationship with him where you're where you can hear his voice as clearly as your eyes can see. Your spirit is supposed to be a sixth sense where you develop an ability to hear the Holy Spirit every time, always. I was talking to a young man who uh, had never been baptized in the spirit and had grown up in this kind of Christianity and so forth. And he told me that he uh, had set a whole day aside and spent about four hours praying whether to buy this used car or not. And I thought, you know, like the Holy Spirit, when you're filled with him, he'll just tell you right there. (laughs) Like, yes, you can use your mind and like, okay, it's a Toyota. They're reliable and it's got good mileage and, you know, and you you know all that. But But the Holy Spirit will give you a sense of this is the one or not the one. Now, when it comes to the bigger decisions of life, you, you, you need to understand that when you're personally involved and when you're less mature and hearing the Spirit and so forth, you can sometimes hear wrong, so you submit that, and every fact will be confirmed by two or three witnesses. It's like uh, back in our days in Bowling Green, a young man told a young lady that uh, he felt like the Holy Spirit had showed him that they were supposed to get married, and she said, well, the Holy Spirit didn't show me. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, so I've always liked that one. But um, if it's the Holy Spirit, it'll be confirmed by two or three witnesses. So 
we need to understand that the pharisaical paradigms always, always deny the present power of the Holy Spirit in our day. They say they accept miracles as long as the miracles were in the times of Moses and the times of the apostles and so forth. That's what the Pharisees did to Jesus. They said to the blind man, you know, the man who, in John 9, the man who was healed of being born blind, he said, you're his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he's from. Now, I had to shorten the answer so I could fit everything on, but the man goes on to say, well, that's a strange thing. We know that God doesn't hear sinners, and we know no one's ever healed the, someone born blind. He's saying, like, you're rejecting his miracles because of your paradigms. So, all right, today, uh, Roman numeral five at the bottom of the page. That's all review. Hopefully we can have about 25 minutes of good uh, new stuff here. So the truth of the matter is, is that the ministry of Jesus includes healing, deliverance, changed, radically changed lives. When Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, go your way, sin no more, he had imparted a new creation into the spirit of that person. And they were empowered to go their way and sin no more. When you receive Christ, you have, a, you have a new power to go your way and sin no more. And you may still have some ongoing struggles with temptation, but you will never be able to make any peace with them. You'll fast. You'll memorize scriptures about that subject area. You know, if you're having a problem with lust and you don't know 30 or 40 scriptures about lust, Shame on you. What the heck is wrong? If you're, if you're changed, you will seek God. No one who's born again sins. You can't stay in practicing sin. You can't live there. You'll do what it takes. You'll keep yourself you know, from the near occasion of sin, what all the things that it takes. You'll continue to seek God for a restored, resurrected, powerful new life that doesn't involve sin. So uh, Jesus continues to complete uh, his mission until the conquest of the whole world. And he's building the kingdom of God. Now, we're gonna, what we're going to look at is the New Testament apostolic idea of continuationism, as it's called today. What do the scriptures say about that? One of the reasons we miss it is when you read, I was reading a very good book, most, mostly, but when you read any summary of Scripture today, you'll all, even a good study Bible, almost all of them will say that the Bible's about redemptive history, the history of redemption. And that's very similar to what we're up against if you study grace. In my 16-part grace series, we start by defining grace, and today's definition of grace is it's God's undeserved favor. That is true, and it's a true partial definition of grace. Just like Terry Pellegrino works for a bank. That's true, and you couldn't, if that's all you knew about Terry Pellegrino, you wouldn't be able to say, I really know a lot about Terry Pellegrino. <laughs> you know a partial true definition but you would need to know a lot more to know about Terry Pellegrino. Grace is much more than un unmerited favor. It's the, 
total change of your spirit, attitudes, motivation, the power you live by, it's divine enablement to become Christ-like and fulfill the purpose for which he apprehended you. Like Paul says in Philippians 3, I press on that I might lay hold of or apprehend that for which he laid hold of or apprehended me. I want to arrest or grab or, or bring into reality the things in which for which he arrested me. And I, he's, he wrote that toward the end of his life. He's saying, I want to still go on to apprehend that which he apprehended me. Grace is empowerment. Likewise, the Bible is way more than redemption. And so when you're reading study Bibles and commentaries and books about the major themes of Scripture, when they say the major theme of Scripture is the covenant of redemption or the outworking of redemption, something should go off in you that goes, meh, 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 meh. No. That is a little part of the greater theme uh, that, yes, reconciliation, redemption is part of it all, and it's a stepping stone to what he intends to do is that he started with this perfect atmosphere in heaven where the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lived from all eternity with their glory manifest everywhere, and a complete manifestation. There needed. There was no need for light because the Lamb of God was the light. The Lord was the light. Uh, the pr- presence of God permeated everything. All the angels did His will. All the stars obeyed His voice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And He came to b- birth that in Eden, and from Eden to export it through four rivers to the ends of the earth. And He does it in models like the t- the, the tabernacle then the temple, then Christ tabernacled among us, John 1.14, then the church, and the church, uh, the pattern of Antioch said, send Barnabas and Paul to the work I have called them. Plant these model churches in every city, every county, every uh, village, er, every nook, every cranny, to the uttermost parts of the earth, till the glory of heaven fills the earth. And redemption is a subset of that. But the manifest glory of God will be, will be radiating as fully as it is in heaven in every place on earth prior to Jesus coming back. That's the message of the whole Bible. That's why the whole church is so deceived. Nathan, do me a favor. Grab, uh, see if we have a copy of the book Paradise Restored on the back shelves and grab it for me, please, if we do. But um, so let's look at let's look at what the scriptures say about the continuing of Jesus. We're going to look at what the scriptures say about three aspects. One is about the continuation of the ministry of Jesus himself. Two, about the continuation of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And three, about the, the continuation of the kingdom of God until the city of God fills the earth. So uh, let's see what we can get into. Doesn't look like we have that in stock, not even up top or anything. No, nah, it's okay. So <clears throat> Matthew, I already got more material than I can cover anyway. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this. 
And Jesus came about and said, some authority, just in the spiritual realm, not in real governmental things or economic things or family things or real things. Is that what it says? Oh, wait, that's the modern translation. Sorry, modern paraphrase. All authority in her, or on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and have Sunday meetings and don't get together any other time during the week and don't develop a way of life. Go and make disciples. And their only idea of what it meant to make disciples is what he had done to them for the last three and a half years. Go model that. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the spiritual parts of what I commanded you, but because the law is not valid for modern times and it's not a continuation of the same God working out the same ethical issues. Oh, wait a minute. Sorry, mistranslating into modernism. What I, you know, I, I, uh, the reason I am so passionate about this is you meet evangelical fundamentalist Christians all the time who really love God and are trapped in this system. And God wants to set them free. This is killing them. It's killing the church. If you have any degree of love at all in you, you will risk rejection time and time and time again to try to constructively open up eyes, build relationships, whatever it takes to understand this message and get this message out because it's causing the church of our day to crumble it's causing the children of our day to not grow up into the faith. It's causing uh, high divorce rates in the church. Some people claim the abortion rate among Bible-believing Christian girls is probably higher than it is among the world because there's still more shame in their culture for being pregnant outside of marriage. Think about that. Which that's part of the whole moralistic thing is it's always shame-based. So uh, they, most people estimate that there's more Bible-believing girls as a percentage per capita getting abortions than there is uh, any other group of people. Wow. That, that, if that doesn't make you cry, I don't know what will. You're probably dead. Teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And I'm with you always until... The Holy Spirit's taken from the apostles because they wrote the scriptures in the New Testament. Is that what he says? How can he be with us if he's not the same Jesus that he was in his ministry? That's why he actually says greater works than I do because I go to, shall you do because I go to the Father. What does he mean by greater? Simply this. He chose to be limited to a human body, and so he did his works there and then. Now, he did heal some people by afar, like the, you know, the, this uh, synagogue official's daughter. And, you know, he just spoke the word and they maybe healed her, that kind of thing. Uh, but for the most part, it was limited to his travelings in Galilee and in, in Judea. However, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he raises up bodies of Christians who can do these things in every city, every corner of the globe. That's what it means by greater works. 
because there aren't any greater works than opening the eyes of someone being born blind, uh, stopping the wind in the middle of a storm, and raising people from the dead, but it's greater in terms of its capacity to be spread more thoroughly throughout the whole earth because there's bodies of Christians everywhere. And God never intended to primarily heal through superstar Christians, but through bodies of Christians working out the kingdom of God locally. Colossians 2 talks about how he disarmed. I really wish I wasn't out of time. I need to move on. Hopefully you know by now what a triumph is. I think I am going to explain this. We all know about what a triumph is in the Roman world. Sometime see a, a modern triumph. When you watch some World War II foot footage of the British and American troops going through France, Belgium, the Netherlands, and so forth, and watch the people cheering and throwing down flowers from the balconies and, and grabbing the soldiers and kissing them and, and uh, you know, just having, you know, like a ticker tape parade kind of thing spontaneously. Why? Because everyone understood that after D-Day, after we won the, the battles and the beaches of Normandy and so forth, the rest was a mop-up operation. And that's really what Christ did in his death, burial, and resurrection and the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost. The rest is a mop-up operation. Gradually, bodies of Christians are moving out and filling cities and liberating the whole world. And evil is to be on the retreat everywhere. And we had that until we changed our faith to this modern retreatist idea. And it's still happening where they don't have the anti-supernatural paradigms. That's why the gospel is still exploding in Central America, South America, Southeast Asia, Africa, and so forth. Because where you don't have naturalistic humanism and so forth, uh, you know, hindering the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel is doing that. Now, when the armies went through a city, here's what I want you to think about. That wasn't the end of the battles. It was in a certain sense. That's why they were celebrating. But there still had to be uh, rounding up all the compromisers who had been the Vichy French government and putting them on trial, putting all the German uh, Nazis on trial, there still had to be uh, d helping all kinds of displaced people get back to their families and their homes. There's still, there's still to this day stories coming to light about people who had hidden 2,000 Jews up in the mountains and so forth. And those, those people still had to hear the news. And sometimes it was several years before those people realized they could come out of hiding and so forth. So this is where we are today. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And Jesus is continuing his ministry, and we need to continue to announce it because he's already taken all authority and restored it out of the devil's hands, and he's broken the power of our sin nature, and the, the, everything is, that's needed for salvation is given to us. I end up being three weeks on this subject. Part B here on the about the mission or ministry of the Holy Spirit. I guess I will be three weeks because you need to understand 
John 13 through 16, you need to read that. You, you know, if you don't do what we advise, read the whole book at one time. At least read big sections of books at one time. So John 13, 14, 15, and 16 is John's account of the Passover supper. Matthew, Mark, Luke, who are called the Synoptic Gospels, they focus on Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper at the Passover Supper, of his predicting that he was the Lamb of God, of his taking the cup that was, when he says it takes the cup, he took Elijah's cup that they always had left for Elijah to come. Um, You know, he predicts his betrayal by Judas, and he predicts his betrayal uh, by Simon Peter, and he even predicts Simon Peter's restoration. He says, when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers, and so forth. John covers different material. He starts with Jesus girding himself to serve. Why does he start there? Because he's about to give them the most awesome power that has ever existed in the whole universe. If you don't have that sense I suggest you seek God to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. A person baptized in the Holy Spirit has no fears. They have no shame. They have no lack of self-confidence because their confidence is in him. He's about to give them the greatest power that's existed in the universe, far beyond nuclear power or anything else. And so he understands how dangerous this is. This can only be in a body of Christians who wash each other's feet. This cannot be in people who have a will to to advance their own ministry, as we have today with the television evangelists and the whole self-promotion that goes on. I've been in poor people's houses and seeing thank you gifts from these guys who live in half million dollars and four million dollar houses while you know the person that they gave them the money is can't afford clothes for their kids or food for their kids or to call the exterminator to get rid of bugs or anything they're rip-off artist and they're peddling the gospel they become used car salesmen as paul talks about of the gospel God never intended that. What he intended was to distribute the gifts among his body to people who have a heart to serve. That's why whenever I see potential in any young man, I get him mowing the church lawn, cutting up onions, Helping John build boxes for flowers or vegetables in his backyard or what have you. Help Edwin carry the piano in. What? Because uh, you're being, you know, someone who doesn't like to serve others, who doesn't just notice needs and start doing the dishes when no one asks, is a dangerous kind of person. They're still bound by self too much. Then Jesus says more in John 14, 15, and 16 about the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit than anywhere else in the Bible. Because he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. He makes it clear that his ministry is going to continue after his death, burial, and resurrection. 
and it's going to continue. That's where he says, I'll give you greater works. It's going to be a greater ministry in the sense that it's going to be more widely distributed through bodies of Christians throughout the whole earth. And his ministry, all authority in heaven and earth is going to be given to him, and he's going to be with us always until the end of the age. There will never be a time where there's not casting out demons. If that's not part of your Christian experience, you're deceived. There will never be a part that there's not healings. There will never be a time when we don't need to proclaim the gospel to people who haven't heard it, both sitting in our pews and, more importantly, sitting out there somewhere, in parks and at Wright State and at Wright Brothers. Find a pond and start fishing, but make sure what you're fishing is the real gospel of power, that Jesus came to set you free from your economic problems, from the culture of poverty, from all the curses that came into mankind at the fall of mankind. And to those who will go full out for God, they will have that abundant life. I get so burdened because I, you know, I can sit up here as pastor and look out and I interact with you guys at the dinners and in, throughout the week at various places. And I know who's entering in and who's not. And I cry over those who are not entering in. Because he died to set you free and to cause you to become totally free of all oppression, depression, fears unbelief, shame-based condemnation, uh, every kind of thing that hinders people. He died to make you a new person who brings about new creation wherever you go. Are you regularly leading people to Christ? If not, press into this because he chose you and appointed you to bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And this is how he's glorified, John 15, 8, first verse was John 15, 16. He's glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Use how much fruit he's using you to bear as your test of whether you need to keep tinkering with this thing till you get the gospel straight in your life. When you have the full, real gospel, you will bear much fruit. You will regularly, often lead people out of captivity into the freedom of the glorious liberty of the sons of God. That's the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit, which we'll pick up again next week because we're going to turn this into three weeks now. 